Let's pray together. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, you his servants. Praise the name of the Lord. Let the name of the Lord be praised both now and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to the place where it sets, the name of the Lord is to be praised. The Lord is exalted over all the nations, his glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God? The one who sits enthroned on high, who stoops down to look on the heavens and the earth. Can we just take a moment right now to reflect on who our God is, who our maker is, the one who sits enthroned on high. Can we just come with hearts of repentance, with hearts of humility, and surrender ourselves to him? And can we be in a place right now And not just in our physical posture, but in our spiritual posture before Him. Can we just come humble before Him right now and surrender our hearts, lay down our crowns, lay down our rights. Let's cast aside every distractions that is hindering us right now and surrender our hearts to Him. Let us pray together. be pleasing your sight and lord and the meditations of all of our hearts for those who are listening here may not be distracted by the worries and the anxieties of this life but lord let it be receptive to hear your voice clearly as samuel heard your voice oh god we love you we thank you pray all these things in your precious son jesus christ and we pray and god's people pray amen we're still in our authentic christianity series who is your equal Who is God's equal? I've always said this in my sermons and throughout my life. I've always said that the gospel will become your greatest threat or will become your greatest hope. Now, for us as Christians, the gospel is our greatest hope. It is our greatest joy. It is our It is the greatest prize that we have. It is the best thing that we can receive, the best relationship that we can have in this life. There is no earthly relationship. There is no earthly possession or prize or glory that can compare to the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So the gospel today, and I'm preaching to you on, in the position, in a place from, that the gospel is my greatest hope. 
And the question is, is the gospel your greatest hope? Or is the gospel the greatest threat to your walk, to your dreams, to what you want in this life? And you'll see in today's passage, and we're going to continue on in the story of 1 Samuel, we're going to be focusing on chapter 5. And in chapter 5, you'll see that there's no one that can compare to Yahweh. There's no one that can compare to our Lord Jesus Christ, to our God, the Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. One in being, three in person. There's no one that can compare to our God, Yahweh. And you'll see here in 1 Samuel chapter 5. And in 1 Samuel chapter 5, again, what happened in chapter 4? We see in chapter 1, we're introduced with Hannah. There was another lady named Panina, married to a man, and they had a, she was barren. She couldn't have a son. She has a son named Samuel. And we see that there was a corrupted leader. Right? There was a corrupted leader, and the high priest's name was Eli. And Eli had two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, and they were corrupted before God. And we saw their downfall in chapter 4. They went to battle against the Philistines, and then, they were, and then they were murdered. They were killed. They died instantly, it says. Eli died, and also Hophni and Phinehas also died, according to the prophecy. And we see here in, here in chapter 5, 1 Samuel chapter 5, in verse 1 through 12. All right, so 1 Samuel 5, 1 through 12. Let's get right into the passage. It says, The ark and Ashdod and Akron. And you'll see these are locations. And it's going to be brought from three, three locations. From Ashdod and Akron is the last place. So Ashdod, Gath, and Akron. And each place... That this ark of God, again, in chapter 4, the ark of God gets taken. The Philistines take the ark of God. You'll see that it becomes their greatest threat because they do not have a relationship with the Father. So let's begin. In chapter 5, verse 1, it says this. After the Philistines had captured the ark of God, they took it from Ebenezer to Ashdod. Then they carried the ark into Dagon's temple and set it beside Dagon. And the people of Ashdod rose early the next day. There was Dagon fallen on his face on the ground before the ark of the Lord. They took Dagon and put him back in his place. But the following morning, when they rose, there was Dagon fallen on his face on the ground before the ark of the Lord. His head and hands had been broken off and were lying on the threshold. Only his body remained. That is why to this day, neither the priests of Dagon nor any others who entered Dagon's temple had Ashdod's step on the threshold. Verse 6, the Lord's hand was heavy on the people of Ashdod and its vicinity. He brought devastation on them and afflicted them with tumors. When the people of Ashdod saw what was happening, they said, The ark of God of Israel must not stay here with us because his hand is heavy on us. And on Dagon our God. So they called together all the rulers of the Philistines and asked them, What should we do with the ark of the God of Israel? They answered, Have the ark of the God of Israel moved to Gath? So they moved the ark of the God of Israel. But after they had moved it, the Lord's hand was against that city. Throwing it into a great panic, he afflicted the people of the city 
both young and old, with an outbreak of tumors. So they sent the Ark of God to Akron. As the Ark of God was entering Akron, the people of Akron cried out, They have brought the Ark of the God of Israel around to us to kill us and our people. So they called together all the rulers of the Philistines and said, Send the Ark of the God of Israel away. Let it go back to its own place, or it will kill us and our people. For death had filled the city with panic. God's hand was very heavy on it. Those who did not die were afflicted with tumors, and the outcry of the city went up to heaven. Again, it is not hope. It is not restoration. But it becomes poison to these people who do not have a relationship with God. Let's start with point number one. Number one is this. Even when all is lost, my God is still powerful. Even when all is lost, my God is still powerful. To the Israelites, they had lost their their most important relic, which was the Ark of God in chapter 4, because they were unfaithful to God. And even in the moment when they felt like they have lost everything, it was not gone. The truth was that God is still powerful, that he is an all-powerful being that has not forgotten his people. Even when I have lost everything in our Christian walk, my God is still powerful. It's a reminder to us. As Job prayed, as, as we've always gone over this passage, Job chapter 1, and we see in, 20, in verse 21, naked I came, and naked I will depart. Naked I came from my mother's womb. It says, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken, and may the name of the Lord be praised. So we understand that no matter what, no matter how lost we may feel, that the name of the Lord is still powerful, and that he's still active, and that he's still fighting on our behalf. It says here in Psalm 135, Starting in verse 13, your name, Lord, endures forever. Your renown, Lord, through all generations. For the Lord will vindicate his people and have compassion on his servants. The idols of the nations are silver and gold made by human hands. And that's what it was in chapter 5, 1 Samuel 5. They made the idol, the God, lowercase g, God, Dagon, with their hands. It was an idol. It was not a God. It was not the true God. It was not Yahweh. The idols of the nations are silver and gold made by human hands. Verse 16, they have mouths but cannot speak, eyes but cannot see. They have ears but cannot hear, nor is there breath in their mouths. Those who make them will be like them, and so will all who trust in them. All you Israelites, what about us, the believers, us? We must what? Praise the Lord. House of Aaron, praise the Lord. House of Levi, praise the Lord. You who fear him, praise the Lord. Praise be to the Lord from Zion to him who dwells in Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. Even when all is lost, my God is still powerful. We must praise him and worship him. Not these idols, these lowercase g gods that are made by human hands. No other gods are more powerful than Yahweh the Lord. For we did not create him with our hands, but he created us with his hands. And with his breath, he gave us 
living breath. And that is why we have breath and life today. Man-made idols are garbage. Our God cannot be compared. If you remember in Thailand, we went on the mission trip. We saw huge statues. I mean, giant statues of Buddha. Statues for Hinduism, for Hindus. And we see idols made by hands. People worshiping these gods. Driving through a mountain called Kishin Mountain. Right? Ghost Mountain. They built huts for ghosts to rest. One time they even made traffic because they were stopping the roads because people were stopping on the road and giving sacrifice, giving offering and prayer to these kishins and ghosts. And people living in fear, they think that these lowercase g, gods like Dagon, has power. And we learn here in 1 Samuel 5 that when the ark of God was next to Dagon, Dagon, it fell face to the ground with his hands broken falling on his face before ground before the ark of the Lord. They took Dagon and put it back in his place. But the following morning they rose. There was Dagon falling on his face on the ground before the ark of the Lord. His head and hands had been broken off and were lying on the threshold. God was trying to show them that your God, your lowercase g God, your idols have no power. But I am all powerful. That no, no individual, no being can compare to me. And we see, you know, everywhere, you know, documentary, people building gods, idols, statues, portraits, pictures, worshiping these man made idols. And the reality is, and what we can learn here in 1 Samuel 5, is that our God cannot be compared. Our God cannot be broken. It cannot be shaken. Nothing can take God down. Even when we feel intimidated by statues, right? I know some of you were intimidated by those giant statues, those dragons and elephants that we saw in Thailand, or earthly leaders, or politicians, people in authority who abuse their power. When we have God on our side, we have nothing to be afraid of. Nothing. Going on, Psalm 113, it says, Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, you his servants. Praise the name of the Lord. Let the name of the Lord be praised both now and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to the place where it sets, the name of the Lord is to be praised. The Lord is exalted over all the nations. His glory above the heavens, who is like the Lord our God, the one who sits enthroned on high, just like the prayer I prayed in the beginning before the message. Blessed be his name. Praise his name. Praise the name of the Lord forever. It's a reminder here that we serve a powerful God, a just God, a patient God, a loving God. That my God is compassionate. That my God cannot be compared. That my God is merciful. And at the same time, he is a God of justice and truth because he's the original avenger. Amen. I'm going to just continue on. I have one more passage for us before we go to point number two. And it's going to be found in Isaiah chapter 44. It's all on the screen. It's a little long, but please bear with me. 
Let's continue to feed on the word of God. Amen? Let's, let's get excited when we read the word of God. Starting from verse 6. This is what the Lord says. Israel's king and redeemer, the Lord Almighty. I am the first and I am the last. Apart from me, there is no God. Who then is like me? Let him proclaim it. Let him declare and lay out before me. What has happened since I established my ancient people and what is yet to come? Yes, let them foretell what will come. Do not tremble, do not be afraid. Did I not proclaim this and foretell it long ago? You are my witnesses. Is there any God besides me? No, there is no other rock. I know not one. All who make idols are nothing, and the things they treasure are worthless. Those who will speak up for them are blind. They are ignorant to their own shame. Who, sh- who shapes a god and, case- and casts an idol which can profit nothing? People who do that will be put to shame. Such craftsmen are only human beings. Let them all come together and take their stand. They'll be brought down to terror and shame. The blacksmith takes a tool and works with it in the coals. He shapes an idol with hammers. He forges it with the might of his arm. He gets hungry and loses his strength. He drinks no water and grows faint. The carpenter measures with a line and makes an outline with a marker. He rusts it out with chisels and marks it with compasses. He shapes it in human form, human form in all its glory, that it may dwell in a shrine. I once saw a travel documentary, and in this nation, in this country, people, same thing, exactly as people did thousands of years ago, people are still doing it in this present day. Right? They take gold, they hammer it down until it's like thin paper, and they put it, and they're shaping, they're making the statue of Buddha. They're losing sleep. Their hands are all messed up because of all the hard work that they're doing because they think that they're pleasing Buddha. And they go ahead and they they waste their lives. They waste their time. He cuts down cedars or perhaps took a cypress or oak. He let it grow among the trees of the forest or planted a pine and the rain made it grow. It is used as fuel for burning. Some of it he takes and warms himself. He kindles a fire and bakes bread, but he also fashions a god and worships it. He makes an idol and bows down to it. Half of the wood he burns in the fire. Over it he prepares his meal. He roasts his meat and eats his fill. He also warms himself and says, Ah, I am warm. I see the fire. From the rest he makes a god, his idol. He He bows down to it and worships. He prays to it and says, Save me, you are my god. They know nothing. They understand nothing. Their eyes are plastered over so they cannot see. And their minds closed so they cannot understand. No one stops to think. No one has a knowledge or understanding to say, half of it I use for fuel. I even baked bread over his coals. I roasted meat and I ate. Shall I make a detestable thing from what is left? Shall I bow down to a block of wood? Such a person feeds on ashes. A deluded heart misleads him. He cannot save himself or say, It's not this thing in my right hand, a lie. And it's a reminder to us, starting from verse 21, to the believers. Remember these things, Jacob, for you, Israel, are my servant. I have made you 
You are my servant, Israel. I will not forget you. I have swept away your offenses like a cloud, your sins like the morning mist. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. Sing for joy, you heavens, for the Lord has done this. Shout aloud, you earth beneath. Burst into song, you mountains, you forests and all your trees. For the Lord has redeemed Jacob. He displays his glory in Israel. Verse 24, this is what the Lord says. Your Redeemer who formed you in the womb. I am the Lord, the maker of all things, who stretches out the heavens, who spreads out the earth by myself, who foils the signs of false prophets and makes fools of diviners, diviners who overthrows the learning of the wise and turns it into nonsense, who carries out the words of his servants and fulfills the predictions of his messengers, who says of Jerusalem it shall be inhabited, of the towns of Judah they shall be rebuilt, and of their ruins I will restore them, who says to the watery deep, be dry and I will dry up your streams, who says of Cyrus he is my shepherd and will accomplish all that I please. He will say of Jerusalem, let it be rebuilt, and of the temple, let its foundations be laid. Amen. People giving all their time and effort and energy, their sweat and blood, making these gods idols. And this god of Philistines, Dagon, lowercase g, lowercase d, Dagon. How can he compare to the living God? How? You and I, we are here today serving the true one and only God. And his name is Jesus Christ. There is none that can compare to him. Yes, this is the Old Testament. Yes, Jesus' name is not here. But everything from Genesis to Revelation, everything from Genesis to Malachi to the Old Testament, from Matthew to Revelation all the way to the end, 66 books of the Bible, everything points to one individual, the centerpiece, and his name is Jesus Christ, the living God, the true God, the God of Israel. And the reality of the truth that there's only one God. And as Christians and as believers, we must praise him only, praise his name only, and that, that is it. Nothing more, nothing less. Again, number one, even when all is lost, my God is still powerful. Amen? For the Israelites, it was not over. God was still working in the background. Which leads to point number two, even when all is lost, my God is still faithful. My God is still faithful. Even when I have lost everything, my God will always be faithful. He'll remain faithful. Right, like Job 1, 21, like I said, and I hope that you remember this. Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and he takes away, but may the name of the Lord be praised. Amen. Even when I have lost everything, God is still faithful in the background. Even when all feels lost, God is always faithful to the end. For the Israelites, they have, they, yes, they were defeated. In 1 Samuel chapter 4. Yes, their high priest died. Yes, Eli died. Yes, Hophni and Phinehas died. Yes, it looks grim. The situation is pretty bad. They lost the ark of God, the symbol of God's presence. 
They lost their battle. They lost thousands of men in battle. They lost everything. But God is faithful, and he will continue to be faithful. Pastor Piper said this, that God is always doing 10,000 things in your life. And you may be aware of three, only three things that God is doing. God is constantly working in the background. And the example that he gives is, and the example that he gives is used from the scriptures. Even Paul, he says, it's found in Philippians 1, 12, 12, 14. It's not up on the screen, but these are just quotes that I'm doing from his message. It says, you may find yourself in prison, and God may be advancing the gospel among the guards and making the free brothers bold. Reference Paul. Or 2 Corinthians 12, 7-9, you may find yourself with the painful thorns. Talking about Paul again. And God may be making the power of Christ more beautiful in your weakness. Another reference is John 11, 1-44. You may find yourself with a dead brother that Jesus could have healed. And God may be preparing to show his glory. Another reference, Genesis 37. You may find yourself sold into slavery. Story of Jacob. Story of Joseph. Jacob's son, favorite son, Joseph. You may find yourself sold into slavery, accused falsely of sexual abuse, and forgotten in a prison cell. And God may be preparing you to rule a nation. That is why it is so important that when you feel lost today, whenever you feel defeated, let's say Monday comes around, you feel defeated. If you God, I am so hopeless, I feel so guilty, I feel so shameful. How can I ever come to church? How can I ever serve you? How can I ever pray to you? You must remember that God is still faithful. You must never allow your current situation dictate the future, your worship to God. Because God is constantly working. God is constantly moving. Because God is constantly faithful. He will always be faithful. Never forget who our God is. That even when things look grim, when everything seems down, when things are going south, you know that your God is with you and he's walking with you. Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11 through 14. This is a favorite passage that a lot of people quote, but they have no idea what they're quoting. They have no idea what the context of the story is found in Jeremiah 29. Jeremiah 29 is in the context of exile. Israelites were rebellious before God, and they were exiled, so God allowed Babylon to come and take over Israel. So the people, it's kind of like back in the day when Korea was overtaken by Japan, and Japan ruled Korea, the land. Same thing was happening. These people, the Israelites, they were exiled to Babylon. But it says here in Jeremiah 29, 11 to 14, even when you're exiled, God tells them, through Jeremiah the prophet, he reminds his people, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. Again, the context is exile, being a refugee, 
taken over by another nation. God promises here in verse 10, that's not up on the screen, but it says, after 70 years of exile is completed in Babylon, then I will come and rescue you. But be faithful within those 70 years. Because even when we sin, we still have to pay for the crime with our time. And that's what happened here. They were rebellious in their crime and their time was that they were to be exiled by Babylon, to be taken over for 70 years. But the question is, within those 70 years, or however long it may be in our own personal lives, will we stay faithful? Or will we curse God and walk away from our faith? Will you remain faithful? Even when all is lost, my God is still faithful. How is God still faithful in the context of 1 Samuel chapter 5? God is destroying Dagon. People are dying. They're dying from within, from a disease, because God is preparing his people to win the next battle. And who is the main piece here in this story? It's Samuel. Remember, Eli is dead. Hophni and Phinehas, they're both dead. Who is the next, the one who's going to take over? Samuel. And Samuel was a man after God's heart. He was a man that served God with all his heart. And God used him in a mighty way. And because of Samuel, the Israelites, and you'll see later, you'll see later in chapter 6 and chapter 7, that they all turned their hearts back to God through one man, through one individual. Even when all is lost, my God is still faithful. Even when I feel that I have lost in this life or this battle, God is still faithful. He has not given up on me. He is fighting on my behalf. He is doing 10,000 things behind the scenes that I cannot see. Just because I'm only aware of one of them doesn't mean that God is not working. God is constantly working. He is constantly protecting us. It's like the story of 9-11. Right? You hear a lot of testimonies of people who were, they were supposed to go to their job that day, but something happened. They missed their commute, or their kid got sick. Something happened, and that was not an accident. It was God protecting, and God is protecting us. If we have breath today, praise him. Praise him for his faithfulness, for my God is good. That even in my defeat, God still has a plan for me, just like Jeremiah chapter 29. He still has a plan for me. God still has a purpose for me. He has not given up on me. Even when all feels lost, even when we have lost our fight, God is still good and he will always be good. And he is forever powerful. He is forever faithful. That the testimony of God's people will be preserved. Because in the end, ultimately, we will give the glory to him. And again, in later chapters, you'll see the victory of the Israelites, and the defeat and the downfall of the Philistines. Last point, point number three. Before we get humble, choose humility. Before we get humble, choose humility. We must drop our pride before we become ruined. 
We must choose humility before we become humiliated. It says in James 4, 6, but he gives us more grace. That is why scripture says God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. It's not on the screen, but I'm just going to give you references. Proverbs chapter 3, Proverbs 11, Proverbs 16. It, it says, God mocks the proud mockers but shows favor to the humble and the oppressed. That when pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with humility comes wisdom. Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. That he gives grace to those who are humble. He gives favor to those who are humble. But he destroys those who are proud. And who were the proud? Who? The Philistines. They were proud. They thought that they had the ark of God. Now they're like, oh, it benefited the Israelites. Now it will benefit us. What fools? In fact, they ended up destroying them. The gospel became their biggest threat. For they did not have a relationship with the Father. Ashdod, Gath, Akron, verse 6, verse 9, verse 10. Each of them, each of these three cities, all the cities com combined all together, they faced their demise, their destruction. Humiliation definition is the abasement of pride which creates mortification or leads to a state of being humbled or reduced to loneliness or submission. It is an emotion felt by a person whose social status, either by force or willingly, has just decreased. Before we become humiliated, let us choose to humble ourselves before God, as Samuel did. For if you humble yourself, it's the upside-down kingdom. When you humble yourself, God will lift you up and exalt you. If you exalt yourself, God will humble you and bring you down. We must choose to walk in humility before we become humiliated. I mean, the arrogance of these Philistines to think that they can use God for their own personal gain and glory, putting it next to their lowercase g, God, Dagon. Of course, the head and the arms are going to be broken off. Of course, it's going to fall to the ground because we serve a living God. That is why when we pray, whenever we eat, whenever we go on missions, whatever we do, we say we pray in the name of Jesus Christ. For there's power in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. For we serve a living God. Acting as if Yahweh was a prisoner, a defeated prisoner. Again, the ark of God, I'm talking about the ark of God. Next to their lowercase g, God, Dagon. And you'll see how quickly they fall. The downfall of the Philistines. The downfall of the Philistines. I hope you're excited. You want to see what happens? Here, let's get right to it. The downfall. What happens to the Philistines? How scared the Philistines must have been. And the downfall starts in 1 Samuel chapter 5. What we read earlier, our main passage, but let's focus on verse 2 to 4. It says, Then they carried the ark into Dagon's temple and set it beside Dagon. When the people of Ashdod rose early the next day, there was Dagon fallen on his face on the ground before the ark of the Lord. 
They took Dagon and put him back in his place. But the following morning when they rose, there was Dagon fallen on his face on the ground before the ark of the Lord. His head and hands have been broken off and were lying on the threshold. Only his body remained. And then let's go to the next chapter, 1 Samuel chapter 6, verse 1 through 8. When the ark of the Lord had been in Philistine territory seven months, the Philistines called for the priests and the diviners and said, What shall we do with the ark of the Lord? Tell us how we should send it back to its place. They answered, If you return the ark of the God of Israel, do not send it back to him without a gift. By all means, send a guilt offering to him. Then you will be healed. And you will know why his hand has not been lifted from you. The Philistines asked, What guilt offering should we send to him? They replied, Five gold tumors and five gold rats, according to the number of the Philistines' rulers. Because the same plague has struck both you and your rulers, make models of the tumors and the rats that are destroying the country, and give glory to Israel's God. Perhaps he will lift his hand from you and your gods and your land. Why do you harden your hearts as the Egyptians and Pharaoh did? When Israel's God dealt harshly with them, did they not send the Israelites out so that they could go their way? Now then, get a new cart ready with two cows that have calved and have never been yoked. Hitch the cows to the cart, but take their calves away and pen them up. Take the ark of the Lord and put it on the car in a chest beside it. Put the gold objects you are sending back to him as a guilt offering. Send it on its way. Now, I was contemplating whether I was going to do a second sermon next week within this story of the downfall. But I'm going to just finish it all up today because eventually next week, we're going to get to Saul, which becomes the first king of Israel. And then we learn about David. And I'm very excited in the direction we're going. But just real quick, don't get too tired on me, okay? Let's finish strong. Now, let's go over just real quick what's happening here in chapter 6, verse 1 through 8. The ark of the Lord had been in the Philistine territory for how long? Almost half a year, seven months. Now, the priests, the diviners, and they all come together. They're deciding, what should we do? And again... They go ahead and they make a decision that we're going to put it on a cow, on cows, and then we're going to let it go. But the amazing thing is cows are not really smart. They need to be guided by something. But we see eventually as the ark of God is being carried by the cows, that God is working behind the scenes. He is orchestrating these cows to go back to his original location. It is supernatural. It is a miracle. You cannot be like, okay, Toto, take this and give it to the... And then you see in movies like the dog, Lassie takes it and goes to the owner. That never happens. They will get lost. They'll get hit by a car or something. But the cows, they take the ark of God and it brings it back to its original place. And again, it's being carried on a wagon, sort of, on an animal, the ark of God is meant to be carried in a holy manner by the priest. So again, the Philistines' way is being put on an animal or on a cart 
But God's way, the holy way, was to put it on the shoulder. The reason why I'm telling you this is because I'm setting the stage for the future. Remember this information. The Philistines' way was to put it on a car, was to put it on a cow. It says, take the ark, verse 8, and put it on the cart, and a chest beside it. Put the gold objects you are sending back to him as a guilt offering. Send it on its way, because they were tired of the pain and the plague that was happening in chapter 5. Now let's continue on. Chapter 6, verse 19 to 21. But God struck down some of the inhabitants of Beth Shemesh, putting 70 of them to death because they looked into the ark of the Lord. The people mourned because of the heavy blow the Lord had dealt them. And the people of Beth Shemesh asked, Who can stand in the presence of the Lord, this holy God? To whom will the ark go off from here? Then they sent messengers to the people of Kiriath-Jerim, saying, The Philistines have returned the ark of the Lord. Come down and take it up to your own. And we see the ark of God came in a supernatural manner through the carts and through the cows, it goes back to its original location after seven months. Let's go to the next chapter, chapter 7, verse 1 through 4. Let's see how this all ends. Let's continue on. Now we're on chapter 7. So the men of Kiriath-Jerim came and took up the ark of the Lord. They brought it to Abinadab's house on the hill and consecrated Eleazar, his son, to guard the ark of the Lord. The ark remained at Kiriath-Jerim a long time, 20 years in all. Then all the people of Israel turned back to the Lord. So Samuel said to all the Israelites, If you are returning to the Lord with all your hearts, then rid yourselves of the foreign gods and the Ashtoreths, and commit yourselves to the Lord and serve him only. And he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. So the Israelites put away their bells, asterisks, and served the Lord only. And what is happening here? Samuel, through Samuel, through one individual, people are turning back to God. They're realizing that they rebelled against God. And it says, in the end, they served the Lord only. Let's go on. Our last part of chapter 7. While Samuel was sacrificing the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to engage Israel in battle. But that day the Lord thundered with loud thunder against the Philistines and threw them into such a panic that they were routed before the Israelites. The men of Israel rushed out to Mizpah and pursued the Philistines, slaughtering them along the way to a point below Bathkar. Then Samuel took a stone, set it up between Mizpah and Shen. He named it Ebenezer, saying, Thus far the Lord has helped us. And we see the difference with Samuel. He is sacrificing burnt offering to God. He is going and he was worshiping God in between. He's saying, Thus for the Lord has helped us. We see the difference between Samuel and Eli. That he is faithful to God and his worship to him. So the Philistines were subdued and they stopped invading Israel's territory. Through Samuel's lifetime, the hand of the Lord was what? 
against the Philistines. The towns from Ekron to Gath that the Philistines had captured from Israel were restored to Israel, and Israel delivered the neighboring territory from the hands of the Philistines. And there was peace between Israel and the Amorites. Samuel continued as Israel's leader all the days of his life. From year to year, he went on a circuit from Bethel to Gilgal to Mizpah, judging Israel and all those places. But he always went back to Ramah, where his home was. And there he also held court for Israel. And he built an altar there to the Lord. And it's important, the parts that are on the line, all the days of his life, he was leading Israel. He always went back to Ramah, where his home was, which shows that he was a man that was grounded in his roots. He went back to his roots. He was a man that sought after God's heart. He was a man that did not lose who he was, his identity in God. And I'm closing with this. Revelation chapter 2, verse 4 to 5. Again, let's not get too distracted, but let's finish strong. And let's read Revelation chapter 2, verse 4 to 5 together as a church. Let us read together. Ready? One, two, three. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. This is a warning to the church in Ephesus, one of the seven churches. And it says, yes, you have been faithful. Yes, you endure many hardships. But it goes on and says, you have forgotten your first love. Have you forgotten your first love? You want to be like Samuel? You want to be a man after God's own heart? You want God to fight for you and walk with you and fight on your behalf? Then we must walk as Samuel did. Through one man, through one individual, the whole nation was saved. Through one individual, the whole generation was saved. Through one man, God saved and God used for his glory and for his purpose. And you and I, we are no different. God will use you in your own places, in the places that God has called you. One person, it takes one willing individual, and God will use you in such a mighty way. But will you have the faith? Will you have the honor to be used by God, to be his instrument? Will you be used by his glory, to give glory to his name? as Arlene has been stepping up with praise as a praise leader, as we have God has called us in our own respective places with the responsibilities and the calling that God has for us, will you go back and turn back to your first love as Samuel did? It says here, Samuel, he always went back to Ramah, where his home was. He did not forget where he came from. He didn't forget his mom, Hannah. His mother Hannah, when she prayed desperately to God, all the harshness and all the tears and all the sacrifices, all the years of putting in the work and serving God, not forgetting your roots, not forgetting where you come from. 
not forgetting what happened in the year 2018, 2019, 2020, and all the hardships that we've been through. Are you going to forget? Will you compromise? Will you take God for granted? Or will you know that His grace is costly, that His grace is with us today, and therefore we must give our everything to Him right now in this moment? Let us not be like the Philistines. Let us not be like Eli. Let us not be like Hophni and Phinehas. Mocking God to his face. Using his glory, the ark of God, as a magical genie for our own personal gain, as I mentioned last Sunday. Seek him. Seek his face. Do not forsake the first love, your God, your maker. Consider how far you have fallen how far have you fallen how far has your heart turned hard humble yourselves repent and do the things you did at first because if you do not repent I will come to you and you will not smile for he will remove our lampstand from his place. Let's close our eyes. This message is not for everyone. For some or for many, it will go from one year to the other. escape but for those who have ears to hear I pray that it will be sown into your heart the seed of faith that will be rooted in the word of God the truth is yes our God is patient but the time will come as we have seen throughout scripture time and time again that if we don't turn from our evil ways and repent And we continue to live in rebellion before God. Live in our stubbornness and in our rebellion. And if we don't turn to God with repentance and with humility, we will face humiliation with tremendous consequences as the Philistines, as Eli, as Hophni, and Phinehas. So I pray today I pray today that your hearts will be soft, that your hearts will be humble, and that you will seek the living God today. So God, we humble ourselves this morning on this beautiful new day that you have given us. For the breath that I have today, for our days are numbered. God, help us to worship you in our youth. not to waste our days. Help us not to be too smart for our own good, for our own gain. Let us not be blind by our pride, by the lies and the whispers and the shouts of the devil seeing himself, saying that you will live forever. Tomorrow is another day. Seek him tomorrow. What a biggest lie. For God, tomorrow is not guaranteed. But today is guaranteed. because I'm alive today and I'm able to have breath and worship you 
So God, I pray, I pray, Lord, with all of my heart, God, that this message would be deeply seated and rooted in the hearts of all those who are listening today. May they not get bored or get lost by the reading of the scriptures. May they not get distracted by the weather or the heat. But Lord, may their hearts be in line with your word. Humble them today to seek your face and to make your name be known. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. The eyes of the Lord are everywhere, keeping watch on the wicked and the good. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their cry. Lord, look to us as the apple of your eye. We thank you. We look to you. as our everything, the beginning and the end, our all. Lord, we look to you, God, with humility. We humble ourselves before we become humiliated. We humble ourselves before we become destroyed. Lord, we seek your face today. We are desperate for your love. We thank you. We love you. Pray all these things. Your precious Son, Jesus Christ, let me pray. And God's people pray. Amen and amen.